And God, we pray that you would once again give us grace this morning to see, understand, know and live your word. I decrease, Lord, that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray, God, that you would move me out of the way this morning and that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear and see you speaking to them this morning through your word. We pray for its clarity as it always is, but not its clarity, but for us to have clear vision of your clear word. We thank you for this, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've said, this is the the seventh sermon in this sixth chapter. And I do pray that as we've been going through this chapter, that you've been reading ahead. How many of you have been reading ahead and and trying to, to get ahead of me? You should be. I encourage you, as I said last Sunday, read ahead. That way, when we get to the passage that we'll be dealing with that Sunday, you at least have an understanding or an idea of what we're talking about. But I pray that you have have understood and that you praise God for the bread of life that has sovereignly been offered to us. And that bread of life obviously is the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand one last time for the reading of God's word in John chapter six. We're going to start in verse 60 and we'll go to uh, the very end of this chapter, which would be verse 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what would what then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? If it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Behold, the word of God may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So within this chapter. We have been blessed by God to see many truths. We have, God has revealed to us in this chapter, through his word, in verses 1 through 15, we saw the creative power of the God-man. Jesus Christ, as he multiplied five loaves and two fish to feed some 10 to 20,000 people. In verse 16 through 21, we saw the deity of Christ. As he displayed his deity by walking on water, calming the wind and waves, took the boat that was in in the middle of the sea and made it immediately become right on shore or come right to shore. In verses 27, 33, 35, 41, 48, 51 through 58, Jesus is once again referring to himself over and over again as the bread of life that when one eats of it, 
they will never hunger again. They will never thirst again. In verses 36, 37, 44, 45, 63, and we will see 65, we see that God is sovereign in salvation. Many things that we have seen and been has been revealed to us through this chapter. But there's one overarching theme in this chapter. And I say that carefully because I think there's a number of overarching themes in this chapter. But this today we are going to we're going to focus on one particular theme. And that is the theme of true disciples and false disciples or in their order, false disciples and true disciples. Generally speaking, those who hear the preaching of the word of God will respond in one of three ways. And as I say that, those of you who are here this morning will respond in one of these three ways. In, in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, Jesus gives us four responses, but we're going to combine two of them and make it three. First of all, there are those who will scoff and completely reject the word of God. This was the, the attitude of the Pharisees and Sadducees who responded to the teachings of Jesus by consistently rejecting Jesus and his words and opposing Jesus and his words. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, they attributed the miracles of Jesus as being accomplished by Satan. Even though they could not deny the miraculous miracles of Christ, they dismissed them. They rejected them. And ultimately, they rejected Christ. In Matthew 13, 16, the Bible says, When anyone hears the word of God or the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is complete rejection of the word of God. Some of you, unfortunately, sitting here right now, as God's word is going forth, will reject his word. You may not think of it as rejecting, but your lack of attentiveness is a rejection of the word of God. Your lack of understanding, therefore rejection, will equal rejection. And you fall into the same category as Pharisees and Sadducees, scribes, so on and so forth. Second response will be temporary faith. It is a shallow faith. These false disciples, they are seeking Christ, but they're curious they're seeking Christ, but their curiosity is superficial. It's not true faith. They're coming for superficial desires. Why have you come this morning? Once they begin to follow Christ, they realize that the cost of following Christ is more than they were willing to pay. And they quickly turn and desert following Christ. They are not willing to let go of the world. And they're not willing to let go of themselves. They're not willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Christ. Instead, they will hold on to themselves. And Jesus says, whoever does not let go of his life will lose his life. They in turn, they also turn because of trials that come their way. They falsely think that Christ following Christ equals a life of ease and comfort, painless living. They soon find out that the narrow road is a lot more narrow than they thought. It's not a, a road of comfort and ease. And because it's not a, a road of comfort and ease, they turn from following Christ. Does the Bible ever promise you that everything is going to be tiptoeing through the tulips? If, it, if you think it does, you think you should read it again. 
These are the people that the Bible says that Jesus says in Matthew 20. As for those that were sown on rocky ground, this is the one that hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. In John's first epistle, John, 1 John 2.19, John describes these people as those who went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so it would be shown that they are not of us. And lastly, there are those who will respond with true saving faith. These, as you know, are those who have been given, chosen, given as a gift by the Father and chosen by the Father as a love gift to the Son, whom the Spirit draws to the Son. Remember, I, keep, I said this last week. If you are searching for God, it will lead you to Christ because God draws you. And the only place that he will draw you is to Christ if it is God who's drawing you. If you go to anybody other than Christ, it's not God who's drawing you, it's Satan. If you say I'm seeking for God and you find yourself in Islam, that's the devil leading you, not Christ, not God. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. Matthew 13, 23 says about the good soil for what was sown on the good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands it. Yes. He indeed bears good fruit or fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another case, 60 and in another case, 30. This sermon of the bread of life. During Jesus's time in Galilee was the climax of his ministry there in Galilee. Those who heard this message, the message that we've just been preaching over this past seven weeks, they responded in one of these three ways that we've just described. Some completely grumbled, complained about Christ and rejected him altogether. Some stayed for a while. But when they heard what Jesus just said, they realized it was now time for them to leave. They were offended by his words. And then there were the twelve. The twelve minus one. They stayed. As we conclude this chapter, we are going to look at a description of the two groups. The false disciples and their reaction. And the true disciples and their reaction. And we are going to ask you this morning, where do you fall? Who are you? On what side of the fence do you land? Verse 60 of chapter 6. When many of his disciples heard it, and re think about that word it. If you're, if you're taking notes, write down the word it and say, what is it? Because we're going to describe it this morning. They said, this, what is this, is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Remember, they're speaking about something specific. There is something specific that's bothering them. But Jesus, knowing in himself what his disciples were grumbling about, said this to them. Do you take offense at this? What is this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who were those that would not believe in him and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you no man can come to me or no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. Number one. The reaction of false disciples. I want you to notice something <clears throat> that the people who are introduced in this chapter, and especially in these verses, what are they called? Disciples. Mathetes in the Greek. They are called disciples. However, what they are called does not truly identify 
what they are. Listen to me closely. What they are called in Scripture does not necessarily identify who or what they are, meaning they were called disciples, but they weren't really truly disciples, were they? Now, these disciples have hung around longer than the crowds. The crowds have now dispersed, and it appears that there is a smaller crowd hanging around with Jesus. But it also appears that their hearts were no different from the the hearts of those who walked away. That the hearts of those who walked away were the same as the hearts of those who stayed for just a little while. Those who walked away, what were they looking for? Bread, dinner, breakfast, brunch, second breakfast. I'm Lord of the Rings, sorry. They may have scoffed at the crowds who walked away and said, look at them walking away. They only came for the bread that Jesus could provide. But in their hearts... They also, too, were seeking Jesus for selfish reasons. It may have been that they were not seeking Jesus for physical bread, but they showed that by deserting Christ, they, too, were just as selfish. They, too, were seeking Jesus for selfish reasons. Why are you here this morning? What do you seek? They began to realize, maybe, That Jesus was not there to overthrow the Roman Empire. They begin to realize maybe he has not come to be a political revolutionary and restore to us the kingdom here on earth. Therefore, this man who is demanding us to eat his flesh and to drink his blood may not be the Messiah that we've been looking for. They thought that Jesus had come to to fulfill All of their happiness here on earth and that their happiness, listen closely, was his number one priority. I'm going to say that again. They wrongly thought that Jesus's number one priority for them here on earth was number one, your happiness. It is not your happiness that Christ has come to this earth. It is not for your selfish, personal fulfillment that Christ has come on this earth. They may have thought or believed that he was going to right all their wrongs and ease all of their pains. Let me tell you, and if you've been serving Christ for any time, have you come to realize that that's not the case? Consequently, Jesus was requiring them to give up more than they were willing to give up. They were not willing to let go. But there's that it that we were speaking of, right? That it and that this. So the question is, what is this? What is that? What is it? And it should not be so redundant, but there is something that we are tempted to give into every single day that Jesus is saying it is. There is something that we are tempted to give into every single day that Jesus is saying that is. The saying that was hard for them to accept It's something that we are tempted to give into every single day. Verse 60 says, this is a hard saying. What is this saying? We're going to get to it. Who can listen to it? Something's clicking in their minds. Something is beginning to make sense. And and here's what I want you to, to remember. Don't believe for a second that this was about not making sense. It made complete sense. They just weren't willing to accept it. It wasn't a matter of of comprehension. It was a matter of not willing to accept what was being conveyed by Christ. 
I asked my wife, what's a good example of understanding something but not willing to ex- not being willing to accept it? She immediately said, Maury Povich and the DNA test that they have on the show. And I looked at her and I said, what, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, Maury Povich and the DNA test that they have on the show. What do you mean? You know, when they come out and they go, you're the daddy. And they go, no, I'm not. And they, Okay, so... Don't ask me why she gave me that example, but that's the example that my wife gave me. I don't know what she's doing at home during the day, but obviously Maury Povich is her new friend. Um, he's not saying to them, you, they're not saying we don't understand what you're saying. We're saying we're not accepting what you're saying. It is scandalous to them. Difficult meaning scandalous. It's rough. It's stiff. It's harsh. It's hard to accept. It's unpleasant. They were offended at the words of Jesus. Now, again, getting back to the it, to the that, to the this. What were they offended at? The more that Jesus spoke, the more they were scandalized, the more they were offended, the more they were uh, unpleasantly accepting the things that were coming out of this man's mouth. And again, that's, that's all they could see him as was a man. Here's what they were offended by. They were offended by the fact that he said he came down from heaven. You came down from heaven. We've seen you. We know your parents. They were offended by the fact that he says he is man's answer to every single spiritual need. And they were offended and rejected the notion that there was nothing that they could do. Listen closely. To merit salvation before God. And let's just throw a cherry on top. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's right. This is the typical response of false disciples. All of these things they are offended at. Now, you may not be offended by the fact that we say Jesus came from heaven. You may say, yeah, you're right, he did. You may not be offended at the fact that Jesus says he is man's answer to every single spiritual need. Although you are looking for other spiritual things, or at least other things to fulfill you rather than Christ, you may not be offended by the fact that we say Christ is the only thing that can fulfill you. Right? Although you may be looking for other things to satisfy, you might not argue verbally with the fact that we say, but only Christ can. And you'll say, yes, I know. And then go try to find a man or a woman to fill that. Am I making sense? Yes. But here's one thing I think that many people are, are offended at. Number one, Jesus when he demands that you acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy, confess your sins, commit yourself to Christ as the only way to salvation, I think people get offended at that. That there's nothing you can do, that you are empty without him. Like every false disciple who pursues Christ, only looking for what they can get for themselves. They don't follow Christ for who he is and, and what he is. I think there's an offense there. And just as a side note, why do you follow Christ? Why are you here? Why are you pursuing? What do you hope to attain from Jesus? Is it rest for your weary souls that you cannot find on your own? Is there some kind of angle that you're trying to get on God who is sovereign over every angle? Why are you here? It's amazing sometimes how I, I preach from this position and look out at your eyes. And there's some people that I want to point out and say, what are you even doing here? 
You're here and you're asleep. You're here and you're texting. You're here and you're rolling your eyes. You're here. Why are you here? Let me say to you that Jesus knows why you're here. Although sometimes I want to get into your face and just say, go away. I don't know. I don't know what God is doing in you. But Jesus knows your heart. The Bible says in 61, but Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Now, here's what I want to get back to the offense. Okay, we're going to get back to the it, to the that, to the this. John 2.25, Matthew 12.25, Luke 5.22 tell us that Jesus knows and understands every heart. And he asked them, based upon what he's been teaching, does this cause you to stumble? Is what has what I just said causing you to turn away? Now he starts to do this. Now, here's where we're going to get to the this, that and it. He starts to reveal to them because he knows their heart. He starts to reveal to them the things that they're offended by. Because it's right now to this point, it's an it, right? It's a that. It's a this. And then the Bible says in verse 61, but he knows their hearts. So he says, let me show you your heart. Let me show you what you're offended at. Here he goes. Verse 62. Then what if I were, or what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? First thing you're offended at, guys, crowd, you're offended by the fact that I said I came from heaven. Jesus begins to reveal to them their heart. He begins to take it out. And show them statement by statement the things that they are fighting against. Number one, if you saw me come down from where I actually came from, would that make you happy? I'm telling you where I'm from. Do you want me to go up, come down, and then show you? See, as we said before, evidence is never going to be enough for a person who has a hard heart. You can show them all the evidences in the world, and yet because their hearts are hard, they still won't receive it because... They can't. They can't. Yes, their hearts are hard, but they their hearts are hard, but they cannot accept it. It should be noted, though, that some of the commentators say Jesus was referring to his crucifixion and that if I be lifted up, you'll be even more offended by my crucifixion. But I'm going to go with the other more obvious one that says, what if I were to just come down and show you where I'm from? Would that make you happy? Number one. Number two, he addresses this. The other thing that's on their mind, and that is this, their ability to achieve salvation on their own. He says in verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. So number one, I'm from heaven. And number two, the spirit gives life. And let me add more to that. The flesh is of no help at all. The spirit gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these people. They've grown up all their lives thinking, I've been circumcised. I live by the law. I observe the Sabbath. I love God in every way that he has prescribed before man. Therefore, I am acceptable to God. And when I die, he will say, welcome home, baby. Then you have this man who comes along and says, that's not what the law and the prophets teach at all. They're not teaching me, teaching you that you can be saved by the law, the law and the prophets, which is the Old Testament. They're not teaching you that you could be saved by the law. This is God's prescribed will or this prescribed standard of holiness that you cannot do. You can't save yourself. It's the spirit who gives life. Your flesh, the works that you do, they will not save you. 
apart from Christ. Now, I asked you to put yourself in their shoes, but here's the thing. You were born wearing those shoes. You were born with those shoes. And guess what? As you grew older, those shoes grew with you. You didn't have to grow into those shoes. You were born with those shoes, and it just adjusted to your growth, to your size, every single year that you lived. Because that's exactly what you were raised to think. What do I mean? You were raised to believe that you're a good person. And that if you just be a good enough person, that you're going to go to heaven because you're a good person. And then you come to a church and they tell you there's no such thing as a good person. Because that's what the Bible teaches. You were raised to believe that you could come to God anytime you want to, even on your deathbed. It's up to you. Then you come and find out that the Bible teaches you can't come on your own at all. That it's only God who draws you. And if you think that you can do it just at any moment. Flip of, the, flip of the switch on my deathbed and it's going to be okay? You're wrong. On and on and on. Your world has been t- turned upside down. Just as their world was turned upside down by the word of God. By Christ speaking. And they were offended by this. You look around at some of the empty chairs that are, that are in this building. They were offended by this. That people who say they love God. Who say they want to glorify God. And here's the other part. But yet they want to take credit. For something that only God does. By a simple phrase that is found nowhere in the Bible. Free will. Yet they say it's all to the glory of God. Then read John 6. And give him glory. If you say it's all for the glory of God. Then read John 6. Read Romans 9. Read Ephesians, read the Bible and give God glory. I recently, by the providence of God, listened to a message by by R.C. Sproul on the sovereignty of God. And it was amazing because as I just randomly washing dishes started to hear this message, he was talking about John chapter six. And he talked about when he entered seminary, he sat under one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century, uh, Dr. John Gerstner. And he said, John Gerstner was a great teacher. John Gerstner was also a Calvinist. And as he sat under this man's teaching for the past four, for four years, he battled with John Gerstner week after week on, on the doctrines of grace. And he said, I was able to survive four years under John Gershner, and I still did not convert to the doctrines of grace. And then he got into his fifth year after seminary. And he started to read John chapter 6. And he says that he could not accept that God was completely sovereign through salvation because he wanted to hold on to his free will. Then he began to read John 6 and he goes, and something was abundantly clear about John chapter 6. And here's what it was. That Jesus is abundantly clear that he is sovereign in salvation. He could not be any more clear. And he came across a note that he wrote to himself on his desk. And it was this. You are required to believe and teach what the Bible says, not what you want it to say. And he said, that settled it. That was the issue. It was all of this time. It was him saying the Bible's vague. The Bible is unclear. The Bible doesn't really. And the Bible. 
Instead, he said, the Bible is not unclear. The Bible is not vague. You read John chapter 6, and he said, I begin to, to connect John 6 and John 9 and realize it's abundantly clear. How could someone miss it? If they're missing it, it's because of them, not because of the Bible. And here's another point that he spoke about that I really thought was interesting. It was this. He started to speak about how he needed to be gracious toward those who are struggling with the doctrines of grace. And he said this now before you start to say yes. Now, listen, he spoke about conversations that he would have with people and say, yes, I know it's difficult. and I know it's hard to understand. And I know, yeah, I struggle, too. And he said, then I start to catch myself after reading this years later. And he talks about recanting, how Augustine had had a book that he wrote that he recanted a lot of things. And he says, now, here's my recant. Here's where I in this moment, in this time, during the end of my life in ministry, here's the, the thing that I recant. I recant ever telling someone it's hard to understand. I recant ever telling someone that it's a struggle to get. Because if I do that. I'm offending God's word and saying God's word is not clear on this issue. Instead, how could I do that? And how could it be more clear? The person who is unclear about the doctrines of grace, it's their fault, not the Bible's fault. The person who refuses to, to say it makes sense or is walking around in confusion, they're simply unwilling to bow their knee before God in his word and say this is what it teaches. I say with R.C. Sproul, as he said in this sermon, if you, reject, if you reject the doctrines of grace, listen closely now. If you're saying, I don't want to call myself a Calvinist, I don't want to call myself, fine. If you reject the doctrines of grace and believe that you had something to do with your salvation or just don't even want to identify yourself with that name, here's, here's what, what R.C. Sproul said about Arminians and every single person who rejects the doctrines of grace, they are taking the gift out of the grace of God. And I sat there and thought about it, that they're taking the gift out of the grace of God. Because grace is a gift. And if you say you had something to do with it, you're obviously taking the gift and you were saying, I paid a little bit for that. I contributed to that gift. You're taking the gift out of the grace of God. And he also said, and you are making a mockery out of the word of God. And he says, it's finally, it's time. Finally, someone stood up and said that. And he says, and I say, I didn't mean that it was going to be me, but I guess I just said it. The words, verse 63, that I have spoken to you are, are spirit and they are life. Yes. Let me just go back one step. So don't hear the things that we are teaching about. Your lack of ability to choose God, because that's what the Bible teaches, or your lack of, of contributing to your salvation, because that's what the Bible teaches. Don't be like those who heard these teachings of Christ and saying that's too hard. No, it's not. It's, it's rather very clear. Amen. And don't let this be the thing that causes you to walk away as you see some of the empty seats. Let me just say to, to those of you who are coming on, on Wednesday, I, we were here last Sunday. Or the Sunday before. And I sat back when I got home and I started to think about all the people that were missing. Just of our church, who, who belonged to our church, there was 20 people gone. Or more that I can think of. But I could start to name at least 20. 
If you start to think of the people who left when we started teaching the doctrines of grace, add another 30. Add at least another 30. You want to think you want to talk about people being offended? There was one person that I was as I was teaching this word sat there with his face contorted, came to me afterwards and says, you're not teaching the tulip, are you? And this is a person that knows the way of the master really well, as he says, but could not accept the fact that it's God who saves the flesh is of no help at all. Maybe he hasn't read John six. I hope he hears this message. If you know him, send it this way. Send it, send him this way. These words that are these words are spirit in their life. And you accept the words of Christ and you are accepting the person of Christ because they truly reveal who he is. Verse 24 or verse 64. There are some of you, Jesus says, who do not believe. Now, these that he says, some of you, does that make sense? The this and the that what they were complaining about? Does that make sense? So I just explained to you. He came from heaven and that they can't save themselves. Now, we can add the eat my blood or eat my my flesh and drink my blood. That's a cherry on top. Okay. That's just saying you need all of me if you're going to be in this. They were offended at all of that. He says to them, this is the entire crowd. The 12 are standing in that crowd. Verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Let me ask you another question. Predestination. How does he know who are going to believe him? If he knows before who is going to believe in him, then he obviously has an idea of who belongs to him and who doesn't. Right. So if anybody has a problem with predestination, there you go. And read Romans 9 again. And read the Bible again. From front to cover. Or front to back. He know, do you think he knew that he was going to choose you? Oh, let me try this again. <clears throat> Did you think he knew he was going to choose you? Do, do you think he knew before you knew that, he, that you would be his? Let's go that way. Huh? Okay. Does that help you? Okay. How did he know that? Yeah, he's God, of course. Predestination. He knew before the foundations of the world that you belong to him. Did he know that some of the people who do not belong to him or those who do not belong? Did he know that they would not also belong to him? Yes. Do you think Jesus in his earthly ministry, who was just saying what I just told you, knew what was going on in this crowd? That there are those who don't believe in him. And guess what? They're not his anyways. And there are 12 minus one who are his. And guess what? He chose them from the foundation of the world. If you have a problem with that, then throw your Bible away. Because it's all throughout the Bible. This was going to be my Calvinist sermon. Because it's all throughout John 6. Let's keep going. I'm going to say something in a minute and you're going to hopefully get what I mean. It's saddened the Lord. That the reality is that these people have been with him for over a year. These people that were walking with him, they were not the crowd that just came randomly said bread. They had been walking with him for a year. At least there were people that were following him that he knew as they began to follow, even for that year, that they would ultimately reject him. You think about that from the moment they started their pursuit of him. He already knew that a year later, you're going to walk away. For one year and he knew it. And for one year, he continued to minister to them. I said to my brother yesterday as we were uh, in L.A., it's sad for people that that did have come to know truth, as the Bible says, 
and then they walk away. Yes. It's worse for them. Yes. It's worse for them if they had never come, it would have been better off. Because now they've got and heard truth, as the Bible talks about, I think, in the book of uh, 1 John. They've been exposed to truth. They've heard truth. They've even kind of received truth, only to walk away. More judgment is on their head. So you are going to be judged according to what? To what you have been, what's been revealed to you. That's a scary thought, is it not? That the truth that you are being told, the truth that's being taught to you, you can grab it and and hear it, walk away from it, and then it be brought back to you when you stand before God and said, oh, you got a lot of truth. Oh, you heard a lot. And you, like a dog, went back to your vomit. But he knows why they're leaving. Even though they appear to be following for a while. When they hear the cost, they turn and follow him no more. And Jesus explains why this happens. Verse 65. That's why I told you. No one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. You may be here, but not belong to him. Think about that. You may be here. You've been following for a year, he said. But you're not mine. I don't even know you. Know you in the sense that I've had a relationship before with you before the foundation of the world. And I can imagine them starting to depart. And as they do, Jesus makes this statement. I've been saying this since I got here. The same thing I told your friend Nicodemus. Same thing that the law and the prophets have been teaching. Your coming is a work of God. You may even be following for a while, accepting and seemingly believing and staying. And all of that is a work of God. You may say, can we just stop talking about election and predestination and doctrines of grace? Tell you what, I'll stop talking about it when he stops talking about it. I'm just going verse by verse. And as we go, guess what? He keeps talking about it. So, so are we. It's not my fault. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many, many left and they never came back. That, 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 uh, that no longer walked with him means they turned around and they never came back. They turned around and they never came back. What if a person leaves and they come back? Answer, then that's evidence that they belong to God. Because they will ultimately never abandon the faith. What if a person leaves and they never go back? Then they never belong to him. R.C. Sproul says, if you have it, you never lose it. If you lose it, you never had it. What if they walked away for years? Are they still alive? Yeah. Then there is hope. There is hope that they could come back. What if they, they went away and they died? Well, may God have mercy on them. May God have mercy on them. It's one of the saddest things in my life to witness And I've had many, uh, 17 years now of walking with the Lord. How many people I've known that have been even close friends of mine that walk away and never come back. That walk away and I say never come back. I I hope to God that they come back. But people that we used, I used to minister with, go on street witnessing with, do young adult ministry together with them. Now living in, in random places, doing random things so far away from God. Yes. Yes. 
the overall general reaction of false disciples. Let's go to good news, the true reaction, a reaction of, of true disciples. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you? Tell them to stop talking about it. The twelve. And yet one of you was a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that the term the twelve is being used. And that's the most common name that was given to the apostles that were chosen by Christ. The other Gospels actually record Christ calling the twelve by name. But in John's Gospel, it's assumed that he has already called them by name and now they are following him. And the question that Jesus asked is this concerning their faith. What are you going to do? And he already knows what they're going to say. It's, it's not a lack of knowledge on, on Christ's part, because if he knew who were his, then he obviously knows what they're going to say, right? So their confession of faith was more for their sake and not for his sake. You're right now following Christ. He already knows what's going to happen to you in the end. You're reminding yourself that I will never walk away from Christ is for you. Not for him. When Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, God already knew what Abraham was going to do. It was for Abraham's sake that he would say out loud, I will follow Christ or I will follow God. It is for your sake that you remind yourself daily, weekly, maybe even every moment. God, I will not leave you. God, keep me. God, keep me strong. It's for your sake. He knows what you're going to do. Because how many times do you say to yourself, I think I'm done. And when you say to yourself, I think I'm done, what starts to go into your head? I'm done. Maybe I can go over there and be done. Maybe I can go enjoy this and be done. If you start to say to yourself, I'm done. Now, I'm not speaking about this whole Joel Osteen stuff. Okay, don't get me wrong. What I am saying to yourself is you do need to have a positive confession of your faith. That God keep me and God even and even say, I am weak. I need your help. I need your strength. These are okay things to say. God knows where you're going to eventually land. But why is it so important to meditate on his word? Why is it so important to speak his word even when you pray? So that you can be reminded of what he said and the promises that are over your life. And that those promises that are over your life don't get conflicted with the negative thoughts and feelings that you often want to follow. Does that make sense? Yes. All the things that say, ah, go, go, go. But you have hidden yes. his word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Yes. Amen. Amen. He knew what they would do. He knows what you're going to do. Amen. Everyone's leaving. What about you? Do you also want to go? Or a better way. That Jesus might have said was, do you see the faithlessness of those false disciples? Don't be like them. Do you see the faithlessness of those false disciples, those false followers? And he says to them and he says to you, don't be like them. That's not who you are. I called you. I called you. And because I called you, you're mine. And that's why you're going nowhere. And that's why you're going nowhere.
Is that not the temptation every single day? To try to earn this on our own? To try to say, I've had enough, I just need a break. Is that not our temptation? Almost weekly. My dad used to say, my mom actually said about my dad, he wanted to give up every Sunday. He's done with y'all. Well, most of you weren't here. So I'm never going to be done with you guys. But then you look at those who are living Christless lives right now. And that are headed to a Christless eternity. And you say the wonderful thing that Peter's going to say. To whom else can I go? He does not say where. Whom? Whom are we going to go to? Who am I going to go to? Where? Not where, but who? Their faith was not shallow. It was not momentary faith. It was, I am going with you to the cross, need be. Can you imagine Peter? Not even knowing that his confession was, to whom else can we go? Not knowing that he would eventually follow him all the way to the cross. Will you? Because your trials in your life are not as excruciating as the cross. Your troubles in your finances and marriage are not as devastating as the cross. And guess where Christ is calling you? Well, he'll tell you in Matthew 16. Take up your cross. Because that's the cost of following me. You, who have been called by him, you don't have the privilege to say I'm done. Guess what? Because it's not your call. It's his call. And you're his. So you ain't going nowhere. You ain't going nowhere. Huh? You ever said that to your wife? You should say that to them every time. What if we ever fought and you just said, you ain't going nowhere. I tell that to my wife. I'll go find you. That's right. I'll pull, I will bring you back. That's right. How are you going to do that? By any means necessary. That's right. Amen. Quoting Malcolm X. By any means necessary. <laughs> That's how. Amen. Amen. Will you stand? Jesus gives us a warning of this. And it it came to my mind as I was reading Matthew. I'm going to read it to you really fast. It's Matthew chapter 10. Here's, here's, Here's what he's promising you, brothers and sisters, and much more. But here's the pursuit of Christ that eventually leads to the cross. Listen to this. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them and Gentiles. Listen to me. As Johnny said it earlier this morning. The bill that's just been passed across the nation. Don't think this verse as being very far-fetched. Maybe not in our lifetime. But if you have babies as I do, they might see this. Let me keep going. Let me keep going. Because when they deliver you over... Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for you will be given what to say in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I say to you. You will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, 
nor, the, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and, his, and the servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub or the devil, how much will they malign those of the household? They called him a devil? What do you think they're going to call you? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will be revealed or hidden that will not be known. For I tell you in what I tell you in the dark, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light and what you have whispered, proclaim on the housetops and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny are not one are not one of them and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father but even the hairs on your head are numbered fear not therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows so everyone who acknowledges me before men i will also acknowledge them before my father in heaven but whoever denies me before men i will also deny before my father who is in heaven verse 34 do not think i've come to bring peace To the earth, I've not come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his very own household. Whoever loves the father or loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loses his loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, there's a lot of eschatology in there that we could talk about. Pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill. But the point of that is this. Are you willing to pay? Are you willing to go that far? Because the very end of that is take up your cross. You want to save it, you're going to lose it. If you lose it, you will find it. True disciples say this, verse 68. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter speaks up, as he often does, sometimes to rebuke and sometimes to blessing. In this case, it was the blessing. Because it was Peter who spoke out of a regenerated heart. It says, I will follow you to the end. He spoke... As those of the of the old and those of the future who declared it's in faith alone in you, Christ alone, that we are saved. Whom else will we go to? Who else will we go? Remember, it's not where it's whom. And there is no other except Christ alone. No one like our God. Right. He's unique. He's the, the, the only one of God. He's the, the monogenes. He's the God-man. He's the, the bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the first and the last. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. There is no one like our God. Peter and the twelve, they knew that. Who's going to replace Christ? You have the words of eternal life. We have... Come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. The words of everlasting life yes. are found in Christ. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, they are the power of God unto salvation. And hearing these words, the words of Christ, they lead to salvation. Believing these words lead to salvation. 
And this is how a true disciple responds. When they leave because of persecution, when they leave because of the cost, when they leave because they feel like God is not giving them what they thought they were going to get. The one who's a true disciple says, to who else am I going to go? My life is, is now hidden in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he says in verse 70, did I not choose you? The twelve. Just in case you forgot, again, you're staying because you're mine and I chose you. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. Amen. And yet one of you is a devil. Know that in groups like this, there's always going to be devils. There's always going to be devils. Can you imagine how many devils are in, in t- oh, 10,000 size down there? I'm speaking of new life. You imagine how many devils are in that church? If there's in this church, as small as, as it is, at least one. Hopefully it's none of you, though. But there might be. Can you imagine in bigger churches, the size? Yeah. There's always going to be one. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how sometimes, I, as I preach, sometimes I can pick out that person's face and say, you are not going to stick around very long. <laughs> You devil. (laughs) And he spoke of Judas, Simon, Judas, Simon, uh, son of Iscariot, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This morning, 